Welcome to Insights. This is Paul Ellis, Managing Director of Ellis Wealth Management, where we encourage you to invest in what you love. Ellis Wealth Management is an independent financial services firm focused on planning, advice, coaching, and investment management. We are dedicated to the families we serve, and we encourage you to invest in what you love. Within Insights, we look at ways to make our world richer through focusing on sharing, and developing human capital. Well, all right. What a great, great day it is in the beautiful Pacific Northwest. Good morning. We are back today with our friends Jim Bergeron and Brian Bure, continuing our discussion in the Family Wealth Series. You know, it's been said it's not how much money you make, it's how much money you keep. And we're discussing the insights, planning, and choices, and management needed to keep and pass on what you've worked hard for and have accumulated to your children, the next generations, and those you care about. Here's a brief recap to where we are now. In our first conversation, we discussed what is wealth. In session two, Jim revealed the four corner documents and letters of intent. In our last discussion, Jim introduced the idea of the family GPS and questions to guide us in dialing in our own family GPS coordinates. And today, we're going to go a little deeper into this advanced education process and highlight some needed components. So let's begin. Gentlemen, how are you today? Doing really well, Paul. How are you? Oh, it's a beautiful day. A little chilly, but it's beautiful. It's that time of year, right? From the upper Midwest uh, to you, we all know that we're in that that shoulder season and transition time. And so it's uh, it's not far off. Winter is absolutely coming, but we're ready. Absolutely. If you're if you're north and a little further north, maybe in Canada, maybe in Banff, uh, it's it's getting chilly. <laughs> it's getting chilly. Hey, Brian, how are you today? Doing well today. We're starting to get some of the colder temps, especially overnight here in Colorado too. But doing well. Excellent, excellent. Hey, I know you have an interesting piece of news or a storyline you wanted to share with us today. So uh, go ahead and share that with us right now, if you would. Yeah, it was, um, I think it's relevant. The, the Rolling Stones came out with a, another album, believe it or not. I saw that that came out this, this morning. So listening, and um, Mick Jagger was, was recently asked about um, if he would consider selling the, the, the rest of his catalog that he still holds on to. And he says that he doesn't really have plans to, and, and he kind of connected it to a piece that I feel like we touched on, having that GPS and and that conversation, he said he doesn't think that his kids need the $500 million or whatever that would be worth. And um, he'd rather donate the money, you know, do some good in the world. And it just kind of, it, it reminded me of the conversation we're having, you know, knowing what the next steps are going to be when you're getting to that age. I think we all know how old Mick Jagger is getting, and, and we're probably all still amazed that he's making music these days. But I thought that that was an interesting little piece that tied in um, listening to some Rolling Stones this morning. Absolutely, absolutely. And even though Sir 
Uh, Mick Jagger is uh, he's he's past the age of thirty two. Uh, both he and Keith Richards might indeed continue on well into the next century. They they are they are energetic to say the least. <laughs> but that's really a good point that he has really sat down and thought about uh, thought about his planning. Yeah, absolutely. I thought it was interesting, and I think we'd all have some decisions to make if we had five hundred million dollars there. But um, you know, good to hear that that he's that he's had some forethought and made his decisions, unlike the the Prince story that we had touched on um, a few episodes ago. That $500 million plus that, that he referenced represents his life's work, and, and everyone has their life's work and what that's being represented as, and, and that's a great discussion point for today. So thank you, Brian. Hey, Jim, what, what did you want to share as we tee up today? Well, Brian's story to me, Paul, really points out – something I find quite interesting and in that as we think about and talk through estate plans and wealth plans, quite often we do focus on the economic resources. But what Brian's story points out is that even for families with tremendously significant amounts of wealth, like the Jagers or others, you might have heard stories around Warren Buffett and his thoughts, some of those same adages that they're facing and some of the same issues that they want to address are the very same issues the rest of us are concerned about. And that includes this idea of not only having an effective plan, but making sure we're setting the stage for that plan to be successful. And that's part of the reason why we we started off just with that very simple discussion around what is wealth and what is legacy. And it's more than just the economic resources. As you heard Brian indicate, what Sir Mick is thinking about is not only just the wealth, but how to in turn impart intelligence, financial intelligence, wealth intelligence upon future family members. And we started our sessions with that. And then we talked a little bit about what what that four corner plan would look like. And that second session, I think it's worth a listen again, if you haven't had the chance to hear it, but to go through what are the four corner documents in a plan. And then finally, uh, we spoke in our last session, Paul, about building that family GPS unit. GPS, in this case, means guiding principle statement, but it essentially acts and operates very much like our automobiles navigation units. And it helps us in building that plan, but also navigating the evolutions that might happen to our estate plan. And by that, I mean simple things like, for instance, marriages births. Those are tremendously important. Death, divorce is also important to the evolution of that four-corner plan document structure. Uh, And today, we're going to extend that conversation a little bit more by talking about some of the things that, that we feel are important in the family education process. Early on, I mentioned the plan on its own, really important. Those four corner documents, really important. But on their own, they don't tip the odds totally in our favor of successful wealth and legacy transitions. And part of that success comes by way of adding in that family GPS unit. It comes by way of educating family members across a couple of different 
uh, areas. And Paul, maybe we want to spend a couple of minutes just talking a bit about what are those areas of wealth education that families can start to build upon. Certainly from an advisory standpoint, we can provide some suggestions, but maybe we start there. Does that sound appropriate? Absolutely. All right. So with that structure in mind, one of the things that, that we believe really strongly in is that that psychology that might impact, for instance, a lottery winner or a professional athlete, that psychology of sudden wealth, unfortunately, can also impact family members. And an inheritance coming into existence for an individual at maybe the wrong time or when they're not equipped to maybe think about that appropriately can lead to some bad results. And we hear those stories sometimes about lottery winners or those athletes that in turn seemingly have a fair amount of assets, but after a few years, it's gone. Well, from our standpoint, we believe that one of the ways of combating that psychology is preparing your families, preparing them to succeed well to the wealth. And there are three broad categories that we think of when we think about this wealth education context. And they're categories that that you can in turn with your families interact on. First, financial intelligence. And as exactly as that seems, it's building wealth acumen. And it can start at very young ages. For instance, one of the questions that I'll sometimes ask clients, and one of the things I'd like for you to think about is, how did you learn about money? What were your earliest thoughts around it or experiences around money? In some cases, families are very open and discuss financial concepts. They'll discuss things like the difference between a need versus a want for a preschool-age child. Sometimes, though, families don't discuss it, and it's not necessarily because the family doesn't want to. It just may be that the fabric the history of that family has indicated it's just not something we are open and, and talking about. And maybe parents or grandparents learned that themselves when they were young. But what I'd ask you to think about is, how did you learn about money? And if that was effective, now let's look for ways to emulate that effectiveness with children or grandchildren. If not, let's not replicate it. And there are some things that we can do when it comes to financial intelligence. Paul, one of the things that that we'll sometimes talk about is maybe taking certain milestone events. We're in the fall season now, approaching year end. But many of us as families just sent kids back to school, back to college, and in some cases for the very first time. Well, thinking about financial intelligence, maybe a great opportunity is for those college age kids to get them equipped to think strategically about the use of credit cards. Paul, you and I have talked about this in the past, but the effective use of credit is incredibly important. It's important to have a credit card and to use it wisely. Now, that said, sometimes we shiver a little bit about that. But at the same time, establishing that credit score early on means that when it comes time, maybe post-college, That first job, that interview process and application is going to include a credit rating, buying or leasing a car, purchasing a home, 
it's almost on all of the applications that now newly minted adults are going to be faced with. And establishing that credit score early and building it early, incredibly important. Wouldn't you agree, Paul? Absolutely. And they're waiting for them. As uh, students, they're, they've got the little tables all set up with a beautiful tablecloth and sign here on the dotted line. Boy, I know. It, it's it's one of those where, as I said, I, I shivered a little bit with our son. He's now just recently graduated. Uh, but I know there is that that potential for misuse. The other side of that coin is if you don't have that type of intelligence, maybe you think as I did when I was a newly minted freshman in college that it, it makes absolute sense to cash advance visa to pay MasterCard. <laughs> Probably not the wisest decision that I ever made. I learned the hard way. And if you were to ask me that simple question, how did you learn about money? I would respond with, well, here's a story. And then the follow on to that is, yeah, I don't want my kids, my son, for instance, to learn the way that I did. And that's part of it. So the first step would be financial intelligence. Next, I think there's a broad category that I would put under the header of intellectual intelligence. And again, Paul, we've talked a little bit about this, but intellectual intelligence, while it seems rather subjective, fairly simple. What I think about is building that foundation for thinking wisely about wealth. You know, we all talk about the idea of, as for instance, our family members maybe secure that first job, making sure that they are enrolling in that 401k plan as early as possible and taking full advantage of it. Now, one of the benefits is a lot of plans now have auto enrollment features, means that new employees are automatically enrolled up to the level at which a company will match their contributions. But it's incredibly important to understand that and to start thinking long-term. Paul, I'm interested in your thoughts on this, but when I think about, again, my own son, one of the things that I can recall is when he started to earn some uh, some income during summer employment between school years, one of the things that we talked about was starting to put some money aside into a retirement plan. And I could see the look in his eyes when I mentioned this idea of putting money that he'd earned right now, hard-earned money, aside that he can access 40, 45 years from now. Uh, it's a bit of a difficult sell. But that notion of building towards those long-term goals, it's part of building that intellectual intelligence. And again, that's just an example, maybe at a late teen or early adulthood level. But we can do this across a lot of different areas. And again, Paul, the idea is to start to help family members think about setting those goals and working towards them financially. And again, this is something that, that you've worked on an awful lot with the families that you work with directly. Anything you would want to add there? Yeah, it reminds me uh, a time when I was having a discussion with a set of NFL rookies. And so I'm at this particular team, uh, team's headquarters, and the, there's rookies in the room you know, young young first-year players that are going to play in the NFL, and they've got this paycheck that they're going to receive. And one of the things I did was I shared with them about their 401k plan and what the NFL had done to really entice them to take full advantage of this plan. It's a phenomenal plan. 
And one of the young men said, yeah, but I can't touch that until I'm 40 years of age. Now, you're looking into the eyes of a 22-year-old, a 23-year-old, and the idea of money now versus money later, well, that was something that we had to kind of have a discussion about and the importance of. Now, it wasn't lost on me as well that he said, yeah, but at 40, I'll be old. I was like 42 at the time. (laughs) So you're you're having a young person at the prime of their life basically telling you that you're over the hill. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but 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 your point is well taken, and re- whether you're a really young lad or whether or not you're just getting into the workforce or whether you've, you're in the top 1% of 1%ers, this is something that everybody needs to think through. Yeah, I, to me, that story really resonates for a couple of reasons. I, I've had a few of those humbling, eye-opening experiences where someone will, will impart upon me the fact that um, I, I have – wisdom that has been born out of a number of years, (laughs) meaning I am old. Uh, And at the end of the day, uh, in a lot of individuals eyes that that, you know, that to some degree means you think a little bit differently. What I would say, though, is this and, and that very notion, Paul, that you get at the idea of addressing how to think intellectually and rationally about the wealth doesn't happen overnight for those individuals that we talk with where it may be a bit of a difficult pill to swallow. At the end of the day, it's that ongoing conversation and within families, the families that are listening to this, you know, that again is something that the earlier you start, the better, but it doesn't mean that you've missed the window. If your kids are already on their own, establishing their own careers, there are ways that we can continue to make them ready to receive an inheritances, make them ready to be equipped psychologically to think about wealth rationally. And we can help them to be ready to think about that wealth, not only the wealth that they might inherit, but the wealth that they're earning, that they're ultimately maybe thinking about for their families, to be thinking about that as a steward a responsible individual. And that's our third broad category of what we would consider to be wealth education, the ideas and activities that will help set the stage for successful estate and wealth plans. But that notion of stewardship, at the end of the day, I think of it this way. I want my son, Joe, 21 now, to be thinking about wealth as a steward rather than a recipient. And by that, Paul, what I mean is this notion of a recipient thinks about money in, money out. If you were paying attention recently, one of the very, very large lottery pool winnings won by a person in California, over billion dollars. And then as far as that money goes, one of the first things that that individual did is buy four different really expensive properties. And we're talking multi-million dollar properties. And just the expenses alone of upkeep, maintaining those properties, starting to close in on close to three hundred to 400,000 a year. And that to me is an example of that notion of money in, money out. This happened really quickly after those winnings were secured. 
rather than maybe taking some time to digest and think and think logically through it, to me, a steward of wealth maybe does take a bit of that step back and starts to think about what's the purpose behind what is now a rather large influx of wealth. What's what's its purpose for me, for my family? How can we use it effectively? Paul, something you, I think, have been faced with as well, or at least have had the chance to deal with from a client standpoint. I'll let you add in a couple of thoughts. <laughs> my mind goes to this episode of Sanford and Son. Now, for those that don't know Sanford and Son, it was a sitcom in the in the 70s. And uh, this older gentleman had a business and his son helped him, and his son was an adult. And his son came into some money and was wanting to play poker. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and Fred Sanford said, you know, son, a fool and his money are soon parted. <laughs> well, fool, it won't be long now. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. it's interesting that when as a recipient of money in a windfall environment, this idea of spending it as fast as you can really is a mindset. And people need to understand that there are a circle of people waiting for other people to receive that money so they can swoop in and try and sell them things or separate them from those things. Mike Tyson once said, you know, one of the things that he had to learn was as hard as he worked for the money that he did in the ring, there were other people that were working every bit as hard to separate him from those winnings. And so I think that having a mindset of a recipient versus being able to manage your money or being a steward over your money is so important. You don't want to be in one of those episodes of Samford and Son where someone's asking, hey, a fool and his money are soon parted. Paul, oh, a great, great example. Uh, and from my standpoint, it it really resonates because, again, it is that exact example of the fact that if if we just expect family members to have this background, that expectation sometimes is found wanting. And I think about, for instance, even the fact that in, in schools today, it's rare that there is a program around just simple financial concepts. But giving, again, that base level foundation of, of things like, for instance, compounding, use of credit, setting those goals and saving towards them. Think of those things as, as maybe wanting, and it's up to us as families to help our family members, kids, grandkids, understand those concepts. And even for families with adult kids, with maybe children of their own. That notion of stewardship is something that, that can be, in turn, effectuated through some fairly simple activities. I'm curious about your thoughts, Paul, on things like a donor-advised fund, but we, we talk a little bit about that, and it's maybe worth using from an example standpoint. Um, and I'll just give a real quick overview of what this idea is. But a donor-advised fund is nothing more than a charitable giving vehicle. And as a part of that, you can almost think about it as your family's charitable warehouse. If there are areas that you've got passion around, maybe it's the fight against cancer, or it's the environment or arts. If there are areas that you have passion around, utilizing a vehicle to help 
fund some of those opportunities, maybe make some transfers. You may already be doing it. You may be doing it on an annual basis. We see a lot of families now here at year end writing checks to charities. That's great. It evidences something that you're very passionate about. When I think about stewardship, I think of that as an opportunity maybe to bring family members together around areas of passion. And a donor advised fund allows you to essentially set up your own warehouse. You can put assets into that. And it doesn't have to be a lot. We're not talking about Mick Jagger type of wealth here. It can be fairly simple, low amounts that you in turn will generate a really usable income tax deduction for. And you get that right away, right when you put the assets in, but the assets don't have to come out of your warehouse to particular charities until you make the recommendation as to when and which charities you want to benefit. Now, here's the power behind it. I love the income tax deduction. I love the opportunity of funding areas of passion that you might have. But what I really, really like is the opportunity to engage my son, Joe, and we started this when he was about 15, to engage him in that dialogue around which charities do we want to benefit? And guess what? We utilize, for instance, our family's GPS unit. We align those recommended distributions to what's in that GPS statement. Paul, you've put together a really good list of questions that will help individuals identify what their family GPS unit would look like. But aligning that with these recommendations on distributions is powerful. Now, in our family, what we've done is to ask Joe, and we started this when he was about 15, to make a recommendation. Which charity do we want to benefit? We've got some money that we can do that. Let's make this decision together. And Joe, we want you to participate in that conversation. Help make that recommendation and, and help us to understand how that particular outlet does align with what we are passionate about as a family. Fairly simple. But at the end of the day, it gave Joe the opportunity to start learning some really significant things. First of all, he starts to understand this notion of expense ratios. And for charities, an expense ratio, every public charity has to disclose it. It's readily accessible. A donor-advised fund platform allows you to see this real quickly. And all that it is is how much of every dollar that I give to a particular charity gets applied to its mission what it does versus the expenses of the organization, how it does it. It's not the only factor, but if I see a rather large percentage going to things like fundraising as opposed to the actual mission of that statement, it makes me think, is this maybe a wise use of my, my philanthropic dollars? Am I being a proper steward? Joe gets that. He gets that now by way of actually being a part of it, as opposed to Paul, me telling him how lucky he should feel to be a part of the family and have the things that he does and go to the school that he did. If I tell him he should feel lucky, it's a little bit different than him learning it through actual actions. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. Yeah. And so as a part of that, if we start to think about wrapping this up together, those components, those educational pieces, financial intelligence, intellectual intelligence when it comes to wealth, thinking rationally, 
maybe setting those long-term wealth goals and working towards them in small steps, thinking maybe a bit longer term, and then helping that notion of stewardship. There are some fairly simple activities that we can put in place that will set the stage for it, but they don't happen without us being involved. And that's part of or what we what we do as advisors and part of what our role is to maybe help think about those things. Let's start to wrap some things up here. But as we think about this, think about the educational piece as, again, a way of actualizing those concepts around what is wealth, what does it mean to your family, how that in turn gets depicted in your four-corner wealth transition documents. And then aligning those thoughts with your actions, including the actions around educating family members from very young ages all the way through adult family members. And then from that, we'll talk in one of our next sessions about how you maybe want to start to actualize this. We're approaching year end, Paul, and maybe as we wrap up here today, we want to set the stage for some of those year end conversations where we can get even a bit more specific about some of the activities that families can take. Now, there may be those that are thinking to themselves, I don't like the idea of the term stewardship. It's, it's as if saying this money isn't mine, I'm merely holding it for someone else. I would really encourage those that are tempted to think that way Think of it rather as investing. You may invest in a business with your money. You may invest in real estate with your money. But you could also invest in a mission, in values that align themselves to your core beliefs. And part of the residual of that is the social capital that you get in doing so. Jim mentioned that there is a tax deduction for you to invest in your your mission or your vision or those core beliefs that you align yourself with. But there's also the opportunity, like Jim mentioned, of receiving back the time that you spend with your family, sharing your your goals together, sharing with your children or your your family members, you know, how to look at investing because just like you would look at an expense ratio for a charity, you might want to take a look at what am I getting for what I'm investing in in XYZ. It's the same principles. One is a much longer viewpoint on the horizon, which is your core values, your family mission statement, and the things that you truly care about. They're not entirely different. As a matter of fact, I think they're very much the same. Wouldn't you agree, Jim? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I love the way that you you position this because at the end of the day, how we utilize those vehicles, those strategies that Paul and I talk about, whether it's something like a donor advised fund, as I mentioned, trust vehicles, how we utilize those strategies and how that in turn is consistent with our values, the things that we think about with our own family and what we want to accomplish that's that's more of the art of this, the science, the actual vehicles themselves. But as Paul indicates, aligning those vehicles, those strategies with what we value as a family and utilizing them effectively. 
I love the idea of utilizing, for instance, maybe a charitable transfer to accomplish a few goals. It's not just the charity itself, and we may have some passion about that, but we may not necessarily be passionate about certain types of charities. But there are other opportunities that we can utilize as well in that transfer, that very usable income tax deduction. It's direct dollars on my tax return. In addition to that, what I and what I mentioned, the power really is in helping our family members to think about being responsible recipients of the wealth. That to me is is the end goal. So we wrap up here today. You know, Paul, one of the things we will probably want to get into a bit more in our next sessions is the idea of at year end, great opportunity to start to finalize some of those plans for this year, but thinking ahead as well. And in our next session, we will talk a bit about not only just what's appropriate now, but looking ahead to 2024 and 25, there are some pretty significant changes on our horizon. And I think it's important for families to start thinking about and maybe digesting some of those potential changes in the tax law and the environment in which, for instance, legacy plans are created. We want to start to think about that now so we can digest it rather than having to rush to make a change when a law change happens, for instance. That's part of what we'll talk about in our next section. I do know that Nuveen would like to share some information with our listeners of of an important nature regarding advice. And would you be willing to share that advice? Sure, we'll do so here. This material is not intended to be a recommendation or investment advice, and it doesn't constitute a solicitation to buy, sell, or hold a security or an investment strategy, and is not provided in a fiduciary capacity. The information provided does not take into account specifics or objectives or circumstances of any particular individual or family, or suggest any specific course of action. Investment decisions should be made based on your individual objectives and circumstances, and in consultation with your advisors. The views and opinions expressed here are for informational and educational purposes only as of the date of the production and may change without notice at any time based upon numerous factors such as market or other conditions. Additional risks and uncertainties may not come to pass, and so as a result, you have to consider these as informational discussions directly. Nuveen does not provide uh, legal or tax-based information. Nuveen provides investment advisory solutions through its investment specialists. Well, this has been a terrific series, not merely knowing what to do, but real examples of how to do it. And so thank you, Jim. Thank you very, very much. Brian, is there anything you want to add? No, I I think a lot of that resonated with me. I know I'm probably a little closer to graduating college than than you guys not to age you at all paul but um but yeah a lot of you know just using your credit wisely and all that it's it's it can be tough in today's environment and i think it's in the it's a really important conversation to be having with kids so really enjoyed a lot of the conversation there and definitely something that resonates with me excellent well listen gentlemen i want to thank you thank you for your time today thank you for sharing real 
insights in not again not only theory not only ideas but the practical the practical applications that we can use to make our life and our world a much much better place and let me encourage everyone as we head into the rest of this month to always invest in what you love